Well, good morning. How's everybody doing today? You're here. That's great. All right. Let's go ahead and get into our lesson. We're a little bit late getting started here. So uh, let's just recap very quickly what uh, we found last week about what the possibility is of strange fire in Leviticus chapter 10. Remember, we're looking at the uh, overall heading in chapters 8 through 10 that God uh, basically is allowing only holy priests to offer sacrifices. And there is an external holiness and an internal holiness, a holiness that basically has the idea whatever God commands, that's what I'm going to do. Exactly what I'm going to do. Nadab and Abihu were holy externally, but not internally. They didn't have a heart to do exactly what God commanded. So let's take a look. Now Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, each took his censer and put fire in it, and laid incense on it and offered unauthorized fire. So here's some possibilities that various commentaries, commentaries have, have uh, offered. Uh, first off, fire for the incense offering was supposed to be taken from the bronze altar of sacrifice. Nadab and Abihu might have sourced fire from somewhere else, not not where they should have gotten it from. Number two, Nadab and Abihu were drunk, and thus thus disrespected the Lord by their offering. This possibility would explain why the Lord spoke directly to Aaron and commanded that priests should never drink wine when on duty. All right, that's the second possibility. Number three, The incense they offered was not what the covenant specified. Exodus 30, verses 34 to 38, are very specific about how this incense was to be manufactured. The exact things that should go in it, the exact proportions of what should be in there, and uh, perhaps they got it from some other place, even uh, a false worship center. And then the suggestion that I think makes the most sense is that unauthorized fire, you'll recall we talked about what unauthorized means, it's foreign to a particular relationship. God wanted a particular relationship with the priests. They were to do exactly what he had told them to do. And yet, Uh, Nadab and Abihu, with the way this view goes, actually entered in to the holiest of holies with their incense. And they approached the Lord not at the time the Lord had told them to, nor in the manner that that they were instructed to come in. Well, actually... The regular priests were never supposed to go into the Holy of Holies. Only Aaron, the high priest, once a year. 
And so Leviticus 16, turn there if you would please for a moment. Leviticus 16 is a description of Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, the holiest day in all of Israel's calendar. All right, so here they are. And uh, very first thing the Lord commands through Moses for Aaron is this. Verse 1, the Lord spoke to Moses after the death of the two sons of Aaron, when they drew near before the Lord and died. Yes, indeed, when they drew too near before the Lord and died. And the Lord said to Moses, tell Aaron, your brother, not to come at any time into the holy place inside the veil, before the mercy seat that is in the ark, so that he may not die. Okay, so not going to be like your two sons, Nadab and Abihu, who basically came too close to me into the very holy of holies, and uh, not what I not at the time. I commanded. So neither their action nor the time of their action was was what the Lord had instructed. Uh, and so when they violated that, that was foreign to the, what God had said, foreign to the relationship that God wanted to establish with his people. In the Old Testament, the direct approach to the Lord was highly restricted. As New Testament believers, we get used to direct approach to the Lord. And we can boldly come before the throne of grace. We come not on our own merit, but on the merit of Jesus Christ our Lord. It is only through him that we have this bold approach before the Lord. But this was not the case at this time in history. All right, and we know, this, we know the ending here. Fire came out from before the Lord and consumed them. And of course, that's the opposite of what happened in chapter 9, when fire came out from before the Lord and consumed the offering on the sacrifice, burned it all up, burned all altar. And uh, in this case... No, fire comes out and consumes Nadab and Abihu. What a shocking turn of events. And all of a sudden, everybody is thinking, what is it to serve the Lord? This is a life and death matter to do what he said. And of course, at any time during human history, the Lord can choose to do this, to get our attention, our definite attention. And there would have been a fear of the Lord that spread throughout the camp as everybody heard what happened to Nadab and Abihu. Actually, all of Israel was assembled around the tabernacle and they saw it with their own eyes. They were eyewitnesses to this event. 
All right, so this is, this is fearful. As a matter of fact, when we get to the book of Acts, and a similar fate uh, <clears throat> is not fire consuming them, but Ananias and Sapphira lied about how much money they had sold, the piece of land they had, and, and uh, Peter says, are you giving the whole amount of money you got for the sale of the land? They say, yep, this is it, the whole amount. But they had kept back some of it for themselves. And Peter says, why is it, Ananias, that you have uh, agreed with your wife to, to lie to the Holy Spirit? And he drops dead right on the spot. And then Sapphira comes in. They say, well, Sapphira, did you sell the land for such and such a price and give it all to the relief of the uh, needy believers? And she says, yes, that was the whole thing. And she drops dead. And what does the text say after that? Well, uh, the fear of the Lord was on this early church. And they realized, wow, I mean, this is what God could do at any time to somebody who publicly uh, sinned and even though might, nobody but Ananias and Sapphira might have known what they paid for the land. Yet, there's always must, always must be truth before the Lord. And once again, God could do this at any time. We have to realize that in the New Testament, as in the Old, and we're going to talk about that a little bit later on, uh, the concept of the fear of the Lord looms large, both Old Testament and New Testament times. All right, now, chapter 10, verse 3, is the timeless principle that God wants us to carry away from this event. Sometimes the scripture does this. Other times we read uh, what the Lord says, and it's up to us to extract the timeless principle. Now, for instance, Dr. Han did a great job this morning uh, showing us how this, how this is done, to extract the timeless principle that a narrative <clears throat> is presenting to us. And then there are other times when the, the principle is just so crucial to get that the Lord doesn't leave it to chance that we'd be able to figure out what it is. And so he states it right out. Chapter 10, verse 3. Oh, go back to 10. I'm, I'm not in 10. All right. Then Moses said to Aaron, This is what the Lord has said. Among those who are near me, I will be sanctified. And before all the people, I will be glorified. All right, now, Dr. Han mentioned the Nafal theme in Hebrew. And I thought, hey, cool. You know, people get exposed to a new term. The Hebrew verb system has uh, several different themes, we call it. And it's the cow, the nephal, the piel, the hifil, hithpael, and hafal, and gives Hebrew students fits trying to parse all those verbs. I really miss that. I, I miss seeing 
on students' faces, utter terror as they have to take a quiz about, you know, parsing verbs and coming up with the correct theme. Uh, but in the Nafal theme, this is typically most usages are a passive use. Uh, so if, uh, if I say to one of my kids, here, catch the ball, and then I say, oh, the ball was caught, okay, so that the ball was caught is a passive, and so that would be an afal theme in, in Hebrew. But this is a this is a different use of this particular nafal theme. It's reflexive, where the person who uh, is involved with the action does something to himself, for himself, uh, or in, in that line. And so, basically, we have possibility of translating this verse. The ESV does it this way. I'm going to suggest to you there's a better translation than this, all right? And here it is. This comes from the Lexham English Bible. Now, you can get the LEB from two different sources. Number one, you can get it from uh, uh, that program. <laughs> What's wrong with me? I can't remember the name of the program. What now? From what? Logos. Man, thank you very much, sweetie. Just all of a sudden couldn't come up with Logos. Uh, how many of you have Logos in some form on your computer? Okay. A few. Good. You can also get it from a free app that's available, and it's got a picture of a Bible, and it says Holy Bible on it. And the same people who produce Logos produce that free app. Okay, so if you've got an iPhone, go to the, I, go to the Apple Store. If you've got an uh, Android, go to uh, Google Play or whatever uh, you get there from that particular venue. And you can l download this free app, and it's got dozens of different versions. It's really neat. I can't believe sometimes that they, they took all these versions and put them into one app. And the Lexham English Bible is on that Holy Bible app. All right, so uh, all you have to do, just click down to LEB, Lexham English Bible. This is done by uh, scholars who are looking at both the Hebrew text in the Old Testament and the Greek text in the New Testament, and they are taking advantage of a lot of data that we have from the most current scholarship available in, in uh, conservative circles. All right, so this is what it says. Among those who are close to me, I will show myself holy. Do you see the reflexive action there? In Cal, the verb means to be holy. In the Nephal, reflexive, it's I'm going to show myself to be holy. So there's no mistaking what, I, what I'm like. And in the presence of all the people, I will 
display my glory, or I will show myself glorious. Those two things, holiness and glory, often go together in the Old Testament. Holiness is the distinctive greatness of every aspect that goes into making God who he is. It is everything he is in himself, all wrapped together in one concept. And that holiness results in several things, not the least of which is that he is uh, different, distinct, set apart from all creatures. He alone uh, exists in the perfections of his character from eternity past. Now, glory is what he, cho- what he chooses to reveal about himself to man. It's, it's things about himself that we can understand. No doubt there's lots of aspects of God's holy character, and we're not even going to understand everything about that character, even when we get to eternity, and even when we have an eternity, to know him better. There's no doubt, uh, because we're finite, and we always will be finite, there's, there's probably things about the Lord that we'll never understand. Okay? So, but his glory, that we can understand, because there are touch points uh, with that glory due to the fact that God made us in his image. All right? So we have certain things about our makeup that because God made us in his image, we can understand certain things about the one who made us. Okay? So when, for instance, Moses asked to see God's glory, Exodus chapter, what is that, Uh, 29? I forget. forget. Anyway, Moses asks to see the Lord's glory. The Lord puts him in the cleft of the rock, covers covers him with his hand, passes by, and what does the Lord do? He declares his name. Okay, and this name includes lots of different character qualities, that the Lord has graciously revealed to us in his word, and we, we can understand that because God is glorious, we need to honor him and obey him and reverence him. So, in other words, when God incinerated Nadab and Abihu on the spot... This is why he did it. Nadab and Abihu were doing what they shouldn't have done at the time they shouldn't have done it. At a time they they should not have ever entered into the holy place. That was only Aaron's position to do, and that only once a year. And so that, that display of God's holiness as well was communicative of his glory. 
the honor that is due his name. This is a very, a very uh, strong component of the concept of glory. That because somebody is, has got, uh, for instance, the, the, the basis of the word is to have a lot of assets, wealth. As a matter of fact, sometimes the, the word is even translated wealth in the Old Testament. Uh, so when, when uh, we have a situation, uh, you know, where Jacob is, is returning home and, and uh, they, uh, basically he leaves with a, with a good deal of wealth, uh, then it's, it's said that, well, he's the sons of, um, what's his name? I'm having a terrible time with names here today. Uh, huh? The, uh, Esau returns home. No, Jacob returns home with having spent time with Laban. Okay, and so Laban's sons say, uh, "He's stolen our father's literally glory." Then was translated wealth. Wealthy people generally, if they if they obtain their wealth by, you know, uh, their own uh, smarts and their hard work, we respect people like that. And we look up to them. One time I was preaching on this concept uh, in chapel at Bob Jones, and I I used this illustration because it just so happened that Bill Gates had been in England, and somebody walked up to Bill Gates and threw a cream pie in his face. That made national news. Everybody heard about that. Why, why, what a disrespectful thing to do to Bill Gates. And uh, I said, if, for instance, uh, somebody threw a cream pie in my face after chapel today, it wouldn't even make the campus newspaper the collegian. Uh, uh, because, you know, I, I'm not Bill Gates. <laughs> I, I, I don't have that kind of honor Although sometimes I do wonder whether Bill Gates and indeed got all of his money uh, lawfully and legally. I don't know. I don't know that much about him. So anyway, the, the death, of Nadab, death of Nadab and Abihu was intended by the Lord to show, look, when I give commands, and I give them specifically I want them obeyed. I don't get inventive about how you're going to serve me as a priest. This is not your determination. I need to be honored by everybody. Or I'm going to do what I just did. I'm going to punish disobedience. Now, it's difficult to imagine how grieved and distraught Aaron must have been to see two out of his four sons killed instantly. Surely, we would say to ourselves, Aaron would want to remonstrate with the Lord. Lord, why did you do that? Couldn't you have assessed a little bit less stringent of a penalty, a little bit less of a penalty than kill my two boys? 
like that. Maybe, you know, lay some things on them that they could have sort of worked off their offense or, or something like that. I don't know. Maybe they would be disqualified from the priesthood. But why incinerate them? And so, you know, perhaps the Lord, I mean, perhaps we've got a situation here where Aaron wants to ask questions. But what does he do? The explanation of verse 3 was sufficient for Aaron. He did not remonstrate against the Lord. He held his peace. All right. We now know the timeless truth this passage teaches. But how can we apply it to our situation in the New Covenant? Is there still a place for the fear of the Lord? And the answer is, there is. One application is how serious our God uh, is concerning how we worship him. And not just on Sunday morning. Because our lives, every day of the week every moment of the day. Our lives are to be uh, in devotion and service, yea, even priestly service to the Lord. And this is something that is, is ours to accomplish just the way the Lord instructed us to do that. So, we've talked about this in the past, but turn to Um, Romans chapter 12. And of course, Pastor Reimers has has preached on this, but let's just notice once again, verse 1, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. That that concept could be, which is your priestly service. Because sometimes in the Greek translation of the Old Testament, this term is used to refer to priestly service. So here now is a principle that transcends the Old Testament into the New Testament. And we, Paul says, we are to render priestly service. And what is our service? It is holy and acceptable because we view our duty here, our responsibility, yea, our delight in fulfilling God's task for us, no matter what our calling is in, in a career or no matter what we do Uh, In our daily lives, everything we do must be brought under the control of the Holy Spirit and done in such a way that we want everyone to understand who God is. We want everyone to understand that uh, he is gracious. Today is the day of salvation. Tomorrow may not be. May not be, it may not be because it would be too late. Christ would come again, and men's opportunities to 
to trust him than our past. Now there's only fearful judgment at the great white throne judgment. So we live in a purposeful life of priestly service. When we go to work, we go to work from the standpoint of, Lord, help me today to be a good employee and to be a good testimony for you in what I say and do, because people are watching. Uh, Even something as mundane as taking good care of your property, because people in the neighborhood are watching. We represent a God of order and beauty, and we ought not to let our properties go and just be a terrible testimony. It looks like nobody even lives there or something. Uh, <clears throat> one time it, it came home to me the importance of this. Uh, somebody in our neighborhood said, uh, you teach at Bob Jones, right? I said, yes, I do. Uh-huh. Oh, well, we, we are very impressed with the fact that you keep your lawn cut and you, you, know, you, you try to keep up your, your your uh, property really well, and um, that's what Bob Jones' people do. I thought, well, how about that? When I'm mowing the lawn, I don't think about the testimony that I'm having just simply by keeping the lawn mowed, Uh, but everything in our lives says either, okay, I represent the great God of heaven, or I don't. And, and I want everything I say, do, yea, and think to reflect on the impeccability and the eternally uh, unparalleled character of my God. Do we always do this? Tragically, no. But that's the goal. Uh Uh-oh, I had more. Why have I suddenly... Is there anything past that slide? Oh, no, don't tell me. Okay, well, we got a little bit of time left here, five minutes. We'll continue on. Uh, Go down in chapter 10, uh, back in Leviticus 10 again. And uh, what happens is we've got a problem. Here are two dead bodies in the holy place. It's defiling the tabernacle. What are we going to do? Eleazar and Ithamar, the other two sons of Aaron, can't, take, can't even touch these two uh, deceased brothers. And so Moses calls Mishael and Elizaphan, uh, who basically are cousins of uh, Ithamar and Eliezer. And he says, come, carry your brothers, actually cousins, away from the front of the sanctuary and out of the camp. So they came near and carried them in their coats out of the camp, as Moses had said. And Moses said to Aaron and Eliezer and Ithamar, his sons, let not the hair of your heads hang loose. Do not tear your clothes lest you die, and wrath come upon 
all the congregation. But let your brothers, the whole house of Israel, bewail the burning that the Lord has kindled. And do not go outside the entrance of the tent of meeting, lest you die. For the anointing oil of the Lord is upon you. And they did according to the word of Moses. There you have it. They couldn't even mourn the loss of their brothers. Aaron was not allowed to mourn the loss of his two sons. Because in that particular case, by mourning their deaths, it could be viewed as a challenge to what the Lord had done. And the Lord would not countenance anything that could have been a clue, perhaps, that Aaron or his other two sons were discontent with what the Lord had done. And so they showed their obedience by not mourning the death of Nadab and Abihu. Then, of course, we have what we were talking about in verses 8 and 9. The Lord spoke to Aaron, saying, Drink no wine or strong drink, you or your sons with you, when you go into the tent of meeting, lest you die. It shall be a statute forever throughout your generations. Okay? So, here we are, back again, to the idea that if you start drinking wine it can influence how you act. People who are even short of being drunk are not possessing their highest facilities necessary to do the job of the priest. As a matter of fact, in our modern world, we really have to be extremely careful about how we Uh, do anything that's going to make it so that we cannot apply our greatest attention to particular tasks that we have to do. Consider, for instance, driving. Do you know that Sweden has laws that are so stringent against drunk driving? The average person is considered DUI after one alcoholic drink. Okay, drink a 12-ounce can of beer, you better not get behind the wheel of your car because with a blood alcohol content of 0.02%, if a policeman stops you and you blow into a breathalyzer and you have one quarter of the alcohol in your system that it would take in South Carolina to have you arrested for DUI, in Sweden, you are charged. As a matter of fact, they can take your car away and sell it at public auction and prohibit you from driving for six months. Whoa. How are you going to get to work? Sweden doesn't care. You're going to learn a big lesson here. Let's say you've got a Mercedes uh very expensive Mercedes sedan. And now it's gone. And you say, well, that's not fair. Well, yes, it is. Because they told you 
don't, dri- don't drink and drive. And that means don't have any alcohol because it's been proven by studies that even with an alcohol content of 0.02%, your driving ability is somewhat diminished. We have to be at, our, at the top of our game in the modern world. There's, things we do are too complex to do with any amount of alcohol in our systems. So here you go. An injunction that the Lord gave the priests not to drink alcohol. And still to this day, in my opinion, drinking alcohol is a terrible, uh, terrible uh, thing to do because we seem to be uh, enjoying the same thing that worldly people enjoy. Worldly people, it seems like they can't get together for, for a, uh, you know, a party or any kind of a get-together without beer or some other alcoholic beverages. And uh, it's, it's sort of like the bond. Drinking alcohol is the bond between worldly people. And if you drink, they know, aha, there's somebody who shares my worldview. There's somebody that's just like me. Can't have a good time without drinking. No, no. As, as priests of the Lord, we all are believer priests. It is my opinion that we ought to be consistently against any alcohol use. All right, any questions about that? That's very important. Drinking alcohol accomplishes no good thing. It is just simply potentially devastating. All right, so now we come down here uh, to our second part of verse 9. It shall be a statute for all your generations. You are to distinguish between the holy and the common, between the unclean and the clean. And you are to teach the people of Israel all the statutes the Lord has spoken to them by Moses. That verb translated in the ESV, distinguished, comes from a Hebrew verb which means to separate or to discern uh, what is the correct thing to do from the incorrect thing. And in other words, this is, this is the Lord commanding every Israelite, primarily, of course, the priests, but it is, it is their job to teach the people of Israel all the statutes that the Lord has spoken to them by Moses, both by word and by action. We are to live in such a way that we are obedient to the Lord, that we are a good testimony to other people around us as to what a Christian says and does and thinks. This is an awesome responsibility we have, one not to be taken lightly. And if there's anything we learn from the incineration of Nadab and Abihu, It is that what we do in terms of testimony is crucial. 
nothing more important than this. Let's pray. Our Father, we're thankful for your word, for the instruction that it is to us. Help us. We can't do this on our own strength. Please help us to be an adequate reflection of your character to people who are surrounding us, watching us, listening to us, and may we be a good testimony for you. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.